my spidey senses tingling. Gorilla Big Show. He's the host that is having the second biggest night of his life. The fear agent aficionado and the host of this show. He's slim. This is the Paper Keg Podcast, episode 161. Welcome to the show, Paper Keg Podcast, episode 161. Gosh, gosh in heaven. Last episode, Fear Agent Library Edition, Volume 1. This episode, Library Edition, Volume 2. Thanks for checking us out in your podcast app, your web browser. This is a comic book podcast. Spoilers. This is a very special episode. We're foregoing our regular format. You know, regular format? Old format? Who knows? You know, if I had my say. Just a regular old normal show, in other words. By the way, the latest episode of Paper Keg, 161. Oh my gosh. Had a good Um, run. And we'll read your letters to end the show. We're going to do a whole episode dedicated to the second volume of Fear Agent, Rick Remendo, Tony Moore, Yeah Rome, Hawthorne, Lucas, any name you want, throw it in there. Jerome Hawthorne Lucas. Great man. It's my next child's name. Please let it be the next child's name. We have uh, three remaining living hosts of this podcast, 161 episodes in its history. And I don't want to spoil anything, Lori, but we have a writer as a host. An actual, honest-to-gosh writer. He's on the show. He's been through it all. You know, we have a, we have the veterans to discuss these books. We only get the best. Fortunately, he's unpublished. He's never been published. Not I don't think any of his manuscripts have made it past his front door. No. Jonesy but he, loves but he's, beer. He's always getting something down on paper. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have officially put words to paper, uh, but unfortunately, you will never see them. Uh, I am unpublished by choice, and I am glad to be here for a very special episode of Paper Keg featuring uh, guest voice my summer cold. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, you sound terrible. Thank you. you uh, which is a tradition of sorts yeah, on you, the show. You sound like garbage. You sound like about 60% of our other episodes. So. <laughs> uh, VP of Merch. Merchandise. This guy... He's another host. He's the remaining living hosts of the show. He's a father. He's wearing a shawl. We love him to death. 
like Lothario on Facebook. This guy, let me tell you something. If you're at a party, you're late to the party, and you just walk in, and there's just a circle of people cackling, chuckling, and you go to the center, you see, what are these people laughing at? Who are they talking to? It's this man. Dale underscore A, welcome. Just, um, you know, it's just me. It's just who I am. You know, I can't right. have, I can't have just uh, tense silence, awkward silences. You know, I got to mm-hmm. get in there, and you got to, you got to be able to keep up with me. You know, I'm, I'm right. firing left and right. I'm, I'm both barrels. Yeah, you know, Dale. Right? Dale, your thoughts on uh, performing a confirmation on sixth graders and giving a Catholic high school a day off? Was this in the Hatboro Times? Is this something? That, that's a vague reference to you being a cardinal, Monfrey. <laughs> I mean, that shawl is out of control. It's a vestment. It is a religious vestment <laughs> that you're wearing over your shoulders. That before you put it on, you probably have to kiss it, just like uh, mm-hmm. any local cardinal should. Where the, is your stole? That's what I want to know. I, t- I take my uh, slippers off that look very much like. This color with crosses on the top of them. <laughs> Red silk. I take the slippers <laughs> off, and they're sitting next to me. They're so dainty. You're, we, you know, we broadcast this live on YouTube. We've worked with YouTube on this. We broadcast it live, and your little mini bar says VP hand, foot, and mouth. Mm, my word. Do you have a disease? Do you want to reveal to everyone listening that you officially have a disease? What's your thoughts on that? If you guys only knew, if you guys would only have watched... Mine face as I pulled up to my son's daycare this morning to find that the CDC had closed it because of the rampant case of hand, foot, and mouth disease that's been running through the halls of that thing for the past month. Now, is this before or after they uh, confirmed polio was rampant in this school as well? <laughs> So I don't want to be ignorant, but what is hoof and mouth disease? Hoof Doesn't and that affect cows? Hoof and mouth disease. Hoof is, and mouth? Hemp? I mean, I'm not a doctor, allegedly. Yeah. Hoof Obviously. and mouth is of the equine variety. Hand, yeah. foot, and mouth is... Um, it's basically just a communicable virus kids putting crap in their mouths and they and they their inside of their mouths explode with blisters like physical Gosh. crap or are we talking just any old any crap? any stuff like oh, a little plastic vegetable or something you know Didn't, isn't there wasn't there also a lice outbreak at the school or something else was going on at the school is there Hard actually a school or is it a barn where you drop your children it's off a and they just play with horses yeah, it's just like a, it's just a an empty building with like stagnant water that's never drained fully <laughs> from the bottom, and they just splish. It's a gravel pit. It. Yeah, right. Am I right? Slightly modified for the smaller height children. It's actually Listen. uh, you know, a serious note. Yeah, please. It's been quoted as saying a pediatrician that goes to my other son's uh, takes their son to my other son's school, an epidemic right now. It's an epidemic. It's pretty rampant. It is running around this state. It's at least the southern part of the state. I don't know. So what you're telling me is I'm going to get this disease within the next 28 calendar days. I Yes, I will see you. I will probably give you a hug. And I'm dead. And who knows what. Who knows? Listen. Listen to me. We're running out of tape Ooh. for this episode. Ooh. You're having... This is Monday, 
the Monday after our meetup. Thanks, so, guys. What a meetup it was. Obviously, we it hasn't happened yet as we record, but hopefully none of us drank too much and, and got hit by a car or anything <laughs> terrible along those lines. I'm just going to assume it was it was one of the greatest nights of the year since last of year. Of our lives. Of our lives. If I can be honest. Yeah, and then we've, you know, we've had a, we've worked with a lot of people to make this happen, you know, mainly the three of us. The three of us and that back kind of nook of barcade. Mm. The outside deck porch thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great time at by all. Mm. Gosh, I can't wait. I was actually looking through photos of last year's meetup today at work. I Ooh. loaded up the old Google Drive. Was perusing some photos. What a dynamite time it was! Yeah, for all I, of us it, involved. It, yeah, what a time to be alive! Mm. Yeah, very special time. S- speaking of which, we need to get into brass tacks right now. Oh, cut the brass tacks! The reason we're here Bingo. is Volume Two Omnibus, the final volume, three trades compacted into one massive collection. Fear Agent Library Edition, Volume 2. And I'm just going to preface this with, I was at a happy hour before this. I'm fine. <laughs> the train ride was fine. Nobody asked me any questions about why I was sobbing on the train, so we made it. <laughs> I think Twitter knew there was an issue because every panel got tweeted, I think. right? They- I, listen, I'll tell you what. I withheld the urge to tweet all of uh, the Jelly Brain discussion issue. I think second to last issue of the series. I could have just tweeted page after page. All of it. I think I'd be arrested. Biggest reveal in comics history. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Hopefully you've been listening to the last episode and you're, you're up to speed. If not, you need to get out and buy this book. It's on the Dark Horse app. It's on Amazon. It's at your local comic shop in the in the back issues. Maybe they have trades. I, I can I interrupt you, Slim? If you are going to purchase this book, you need to get the library editions. It it it's a must have. Those two gorgeous, big, black leather bound, beautifully paged. Library editions are perhaps the only real way to own or contain, if you will, Hmm. the magnitude of this story. So don't kid yourself. Don't get, you know, graphic novel floppies or don't get, you know, chintzy trade paperbacks. If you want to own Fear Agent, if you want to own the glory, then the only way is the library editions. Dale, would you disagree? Yes or no? I completely agree. The uh, the quality of each and every page, the stock of the paper is just, I, I mean, I wanted to just comment on each and every page as I flipped. It's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous, oversized. But the stock of the paper alone has just made, made me head over heels. You could kill a man with that paper stock. Absolutely. For, for the paper cuts. Show? Child. You, you could give somebody hand, foot, and mouth disease. If you weren't safe. If you lick it and then somebody else licks it, absolutely. Uh, where we left Heath last episode, 
he has uh, been reunited with his wife, estranged wife. She's with another man, Keith. The fear agents have been reformed on Earth. They're trying to rebuild civilization. Unfortunately, they Heath and Mara could not stop the Dressites and the Feeders from coming back to Earth. So the, the Feeders have been destroying Earth. And now Heath and the new fear agents and his wife are formulating a plan to try to save Earth on the moon. They're on the moon, their old moon base, where all the the Anubius conflict happened. Ooh. So in the first trade hatchet job Heath uh, they go into teams the the new fear agents the uh, Charlotte's team tries to go and find another planet that maybe they could just start a new on and Keith and Heath go to A find food but also I think they go to the feeder's home planet to see if there's just a another predator that they can kind of take back with them to get rid of the feeders on Earth. And over the course of that, you get into the nitty-gritty of Keith's backstory. and But also that, you in this trade, you get some of Mara's backstory. Because I think uh, trade two... Justified, that's all I'm saying. Ended with a cliffhanger that Mara was working with the Dressites to get to something. She made a deal with them, and you find out her backstory about why that was. She was captured as a as a kid during the first Anubius conflict, the first invasion, family murdered, and she finally is liberated by the Dressites, and she swears revenge no matter what the cost. And you get to the nitty gritty of that in this trade. Not only that, you find out that Charlotte has been keeping a secret from Heath. uh, That he has a daughter that he didn't know about. Mm. My lord. Eden. My uh, gosh. The hits hits start (laughs) coming and they don't stop I mean, the hits start coming uh, as soon as Hatchet Job starts. Yoroma Pena does the art for this trade. Um, as you move on, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't know how I want to synopsize this one except for going into nitty gritty. Maybe we'll save it for later, but mm. yeah, because if you'd start a synopsize, you're going to end up just spoiling. I, I kind of feel like maybe I, I don't know if I want to spoil it in this part because no. we have to get into yeah, I don't think the stuff can. later. So, so at the end of hatchet job, um, Heath is eventually sent to um, kind of like Westworld, if you want to think of it that way. Or, I'm sorry, at the beginning of Eye Against Eye, he's sent into like a Westworld that's almost made to his liking. And it's like this Western town where people he grew up with or people in his life live in this town. Or they look like them, but he's not sure if they are them. Like Otto is there. um, The Nerdlinger is there. (laughs) <laughs> um, and Charlotte is there actually. <laughs> so the second trade of this of this library edition, you know, you could kind of call this. Remender does it a few times, and I, I guess I'm more aware of it now from Captain America, like his his kind of like um, I don't want to say relaxed trade, but maybe a break. Like 
you know, why put you through the ringer? Let's just take it easy for a few issues and you, know, you can get your bearings. And that's what Eye Against Eye is at first, but it doesn't last very long. And then the the final trade out of step, you know, jumps a few years into the future and is just like, I, I, I can't even begin to synopsize it. Out of step and the end of Eye Against Eye right before it is just, it's stuff I'd never experienced in a comic book before, just flat out. And uh, I can't wait yeah. to, to dig in a little bit in a minute. So, so Dale, you have never, this is the first time you've gone this far, and we talked about it last episode, you never went past volume two. So now you've completed the series uh, last night. I did. What, what, was, what was going through your mind as you went through this second omnibus of Fear Agent? I mean, there was just, there's so much going, that so much that went through my head because there's, like every aspect of this comic book just keeps you on your toes consistently. And a few of the thoughts that I had was, it starts out, I mean, it's weird because it's, it's got his family life. It's got his life back on Earth, on Texas, before anything, any future stuff gets involved. So it's like just a kind of a normal story, a, a, a normal everyday story without any fantastical elements brought in. And then it it runs the gamut to Western sci-fi, like everything. When it's when it's on the Western world, it truly is, other than maybe the sci-fi guns, it's like a Western feel. You're steeped in it. And there's so much of that unpredictability. I didn't know. I just had no idea where it was going. I didn't know. It was so fantastical and not at the same time. There was just parts where it was on Texas... And then you would, uh, he was in West, Westix and the stuff where the two teams, the stuff with Mara, like the, just where it went was just, it just completely blew my mind. He touches on, at least to me, he touches on pot, on like every possible genre that you can think of in mm-hmm. the sci-fi area in these trades, like hatchet job is in this gorgeous landscape of an alien civilization for a period of time and mixes in some gladiator stuff for a hot minute. But then uh, Kirk West versus X, Spock is yeah. the, uh, what I drew. West X, Eye Against Eye, brings you to a Western, you know, out of nowhere. But it's not really a Western. It's still kind of that Westworld feel where the characters yeah. are cyborgs and it's not real. And not only that, but it's Western slash alternate timeline reality stuff. And then Out of Step takes you to, like, the hardcore, okay, let's explain to you now the puppeteering that's been going on. Yeah. And and I will say that the my, my wife read it and then Mrs. Beef, and I think this is where this portion, this genre, this explanation stuff kind of lost... Um, it like bogged down people that I know that have tried to read this before. We're like, okay, let's reveal all the machinations of what has happened to Heath, Heath to this point. And that happens, I think, at the end of Eye Against Eye or right at the beginning of Out of Step. 
And then that gets to like the hardcore sci-fi stuff towards the end. No, I think there are two key issues in this second volume. And one is the last issue of I versus I. And the other is the uh, penultimate issue where really the only exposition in the series takes place. Uh, when you get, I mean, there's two double cross, big double crosses in this volume. And I'm not going to spoil, but the first double cross lets you I think. It's think okay. I think it's okay to spoil. I don't know. I, that's just my so, personal feeling. I mean, I've got so many feelings about this volume. But the first double cross is the Dressites have gone back in time to basically infect... Totalians. Uh, totality, I'm sorry. The Totalians have gone back in time to essentially affect the entire universe with the Totalian cyborg technology. So Heath is has put his life back together. He's back with Char. Um, the, the, Eden is their new child, their new hope. And the rug is essentially pulled out from under them because now everyone has been affected by the cyborg disease because the Teltadians have, uh, you know, broken the lawn and broken the lawn. Yes, the lawn. I said the lawn. And go back in time to get back at all their enemies. And then the biggest betrayal in the book is that Heath himself caused all this because the jelly brains are actually the mental masters of the Teltadian. So if, if Heath would have never gone back in time to try and forestall the Teltal, uh, the uh, mechanic tin people, <laughs> the tin cans, if you will, then all of this terrible things to every race in the universe would never happen. So, you know, Heath has committed genocide like a thousand times over at this point because of his actions. And I, when I, the first time I read this, I genuinely thought, how could it possibly get worse that the tin cans have taken over the universe? You can't get worse than that. And then Rick Remendo is like, oh, but also Heath caused the entire <laughs> death of the universe. Oops. And that's, you mentioned something slim when you, when you were speaking, but um, after the Western stuff, after they start to pull the curtain back and the, and the heavy duty science fiction, like, trying to keep a roadmap in your head about where exactly we are in time because there's so much of that manipulation and it's like expertly executed because it all makes sense if you start to map it out in your head. And when the Tataldians went back to the beginning of time 150 million years ago and infected themselves in you know, the ape man, and it it's just, it's like very 2001 in that aspect where uh, the ape men are infected with the Tataldian DNA, but it doesn't come to fruition until Heath Houston is standing there with his wife and daughter at the celebration of 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 saving the earth and he loses them because that because that's when they spring the trap like it's been ever since humans started evolving like that's the dirtiest trick ever but but when you find out that the Taldians are working with the chrono keepers or whatever they're called 
yeah. and they can la- they can go anywhere in time at, at very precise locations. It's just it's mind blowing to consider where the the volume of the hardcover started to where it ended up. Because in the beginning, you like you said with the gladiatorial stuff, it was almost like a side arc. Because mm-hmm. he was trying to rescue Keith. I mean, that took a few issues to even get that back on track. It's like you, you're trying to save the human population and you're taking months to save Keith in this in this whole uh, society. It was really just crazy where this book takes you. Yeah, that first the first trade hatchet job it starts out with Keith and Heath on their own mission. And so there's two teams split up. And Keith and Heath are on the planet kind of, like, Keith's plan is that they kind of bond a little bit on this. Like, Keith is going out with Charlotte. They're together. Um, and he and Heath wants nothing to do with it. Heath, Heath's just being an a-hole the whole trip. And he's doing that, you know, to a T as they kind of enter the planet and just try to get the job done. And... There's the underpinnings of the Keith character are they run deep because they get into trouble and Heath just pulls out this miraculous save to to rescue Keith and they get kind of caught by this race where, you know, we don't want you here. You don't belong here. You're just going to bring havoc to our planet. So we're going to make you two fight to the death. And whoever wins can leave. And Keith sees this and realizes there's only one of us that's going to leave. So he decides, all right, yeah, let's fight. And he starts goading Heath to beat the crap out of him and murder him. Because he knows in his head the right thing to do is to let Heath win and leave and Mm -hmm. go to be with Charlotte. Which is like, you don't even know Keith that well. But in this issue... And then, not even that, but after his death, you find out the man that Keith was. Because after Keith, eventually they fight, and then he pulls the spear that Heath was holding into him. So Keith dies, and Heath is allowed to leave. And then you find out from Nicholas afterward that Keith always believed that Houston did the right thing. He always knew that the Dressites needed to be eradicated, and apparently he always defended Heath Houston to Charlotte before they ever even met. And that was like... Back to that Rick Remendo... Back to the Rick Remendo formula of Heath will always be in the wrong in this series. Mm -hmm. Because we... Look, we're all Heath. We established that last episode of Paper Keg. We're all Heath inside. And of course, the one bad guy, because he, you know, has Heath's woman, turns out to be like a saint. Because of course, right? Of course you want to hate that guy, but then you find out that he is like the best guy on the planet. That's Rick Remendo right there, coming in. Issue two jumps into the Mara backstory, so you you know, I th- I think I talked about it earlier, but she's helping Charlotte navigate through the space system to find a planet that could be habitable and uh, the whole reason that Mara is there is because she was given the location of 
the man that sold out her family to the Zarin, the feeder race. Uh, and her family was tortured for years and years, and the Dressites saved her. So the only reason she decided to go up with this, and you find out this whole time she's been, she's had this ulterior motive, and she screws this team because she finds this pirate ship that has her arch nemesis in it, and she just starts shooting at it. She, like, loses her cool. She realizes she's so close, and she just, she couldn't wait anymore. She just starts shooting them. And then they get stranded on this alien planet because she blew her hate wad <laughs> too soon. And, uh, I mean... To, I mean, to, to I, find out that Mara was a plant in the very beginning, arc one, which was, like, the most innocent... You th- I thought it was just an introductory arc to the fear agents and stuff, and Mara is just a the only living survivor on that space truck stop. But she was it was she was there on purpose f- for Heath as a plant. It's just I mean it's just crazy, and the deal she makes with the dressites, and obviously she harbors some very ill will towards this man, and she's got a good reason to want to hate this alien race. And um, I forget the pirate's name, but it was like Levi Diablo, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but like, how far would you go? You and your family were in cages for years. I know, as treated cattle. like cattle from the Zarin race. Your father was murdered right before your eyes. Everyone in your family is dead from this conflict, and you're given the opportunity. Okay, we'll give you the location of the man that did this to you. But you have to give us the code, the codes to Earth to allow the Dressites to enter secretly and destroy the entire Earth. Done. I mean, done. Like, I'd do it. I just the situation you're put in right there. You you just feel like you know it's not just some slapdash storyline thrown into a monthly comic. Like this is mm-hmm. the deep yeah. stuff that Mara has gone through, where you're like, wow, yeah, you know, maybe. The way that he's presented the story, her backstory, and the lengths she would go to just get to this one dirt bag, you're presented with all that stuff, and you're just sitting there watching it happen. Yeah, it's not. It's you're right. It's not some slapdash storyline you'd find in a comic. It's like the every the weight of every page of the series was thought out and has meaning. It's just, it's just crazy how. I mean, she sold the Earth out, but she probably, she's been so long since she's been to Earth, she's numb to it, and she mm-hmm. really wants to get revenge. And then, the idiot that she is, she's so close, and then she blows it, and the imp- the ramifications of her being stupid enough to try to fire upon that heavily armed pirate ship. I mean, she, half the remaining fear agents, <laughs> gone because of it. Yeah, dead. And then she even realizes it, too, because that ship is underwater, and she realizes that she just effed everyone on that ship, and she made a huge mistake. And she, she like, realized, like, I, I, I felt like that moment where she understands, like, man, I really screwed up here. 
<laughs> and it was like a weird moment where, you know, yes, I doomed the earth, but these people specifically, because I can put faces to the people that I doomed by this decision, and she tries to make amends with them. Like, she saves a couple lives from the doomed ship, but they're, they're, they're like, stranded on this creepy alien planet. And that was another genre that I felt like they hopped into, where, like, mm-hmm. this mystery alien race that was so intelligent they understood they understood how to get to heaven essentially scientifically they knew that this black hole would get them to their heaven at a certain time and by certain means of genociding their own planet at the same time where all the souls would then ascend into this black hole at a certain time i thought that was like a weird shift that hit into like almost this other subgenre of sci-fi like right out of nowhere. Can can I get into the metaphysical then since we're kind of naturally going that way. Uh the West X issues of Fear Agent really get into the nature of the soul. And uh spoilers when our Heath gets there uh, he finds out that the Deus Ex Machina machine given him to the uh, Jelly Brains is like a black hole generator. And so he gets out of this uh, trap, this this situation he's in, uh, and is transported then to West X. It's like a shortcut. And Jonesy doesn't he's kind of crap it about in. timelines. That we're working through. He's all over the place. Who, me? <laughs> Myself? Yeah. I'm just thinking I in just my head. I just want to get into the nature of the soul, baby. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting into right now. You can't so, even wait until we finish the first trade. You tried I know, to get to, the, I'm you tried to, get the, to the end of the series as I was going I'm through my synopsis. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what. Let's do the right thing. I'll backpedal. Right, right, and then right. you get just hold, me there Just hold West your, hold your just, thesis on the soul. I can't. It's, it's get I'm to West Side. Oh, but when we get there, your thesis. Guys, let me inject <laughs> it with them, some placidity here because I want to get into it. We will allow you the time. This is our podcast. You have the ability to <laughs> to talk about it. West X Soul Theory. It's coming. <laughs> the uh, Soul Theory. The the first trade releases the bombshell because Keith tells Heath that he has a daughter that was he was never told about. Charlotte Oops. didn't want to tell him because he was an alcoholic and she wanted to wait until he set his life right. That Those pages where a man finds out that he's had to live with the thought of his dead son for a decade and realizes that he has a daughter that he was never told about because he's an alcoholic um, were, were some of the best pages of the entire series. Ooh. And not only not only that, but like right after that, he rescues Charlotte from this alien race, and he realizes that he has to go after Andy, or not Andy, I'm sorry, Mara, because she's on the pirate ship now, ready to enact revenge, and he needs to like talk to her, like, why did you f up? You know, this whole operation, you just doomed yeah. the human human race at this point, and that was something we didn't even mention until now. Like, she really effed everybody. So they have their final meeting on the pirate ship where she t- tells Heath why she did it, how how 
how deep their scars run and that's like their connection with each other they've been through so much awful life situations and and the moment where he says that he saw Levi Diablo lifting the gun to shoot Mara and he just stood there and didn't do anything mm. oh my god good, good grief good grief good grief and and the flashbacks of um Keith and his dad where his dad gives him the knife and he uh, his dad starts to go on about um oh god People don't want Ugh. to see other people happy. Hell, most folks won't even let joy into their own lives, much less someone else's. Can't stand to see myself happy. Reckon that's a genetic trait. Maybe it's the, what you call it, a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's like... Yeah, but be, I just want you to earmark, listeners, earmark this scene because in uh, Hatchet Job, you think that Heath's dad is... A bad guy. But by the time we get to that pen ultimate issue, uh, good golly, Miss Molly. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, eye against eye. The hatch job ends with uh, Heath and Nicholas rocketing out of there, but some of those creepy soulless undead aliens were on the ship so they're you know they're about to kill the two of them but right before then Heath was given a box with a button on it by a jelly brain using some Hickmania-esque quotes Mm -hmm. um, that didn't make any sense to you and probably will never make sense to anybody but Heath's like okay yeah I'll take the box and the, the, the amazing part, like the stuff where when I first read this, they're the the aliens are t- are are like k- killing them and they jump into a black hole, and the parts where like Annie is saying like by the time this message reaches you, six years will have passed, and both of them are just aging panel after panel by the way this black hole is treating them. Like, good grief. The sci-fi stuff in that is just, like, mind-melting. Yeah, it really was, because the two pages, they, you, it's just the effects. You feel like it's, it's a comic that's in motion, like you're viewing motion happen, the way they age through the panels, and Annie is, like, setting the stage of what's happening through natural dialogue. It was just really great, the way that was all set up. So eye against eye, they press the button and they they crash land on a in the in what looks like Texas, and it's a town with you know it's like the Wild West, and Heath arrives there and Charlotte for some reason is there as well. She's been there for two years, even though Heath just arrived a few days ago, and she doesn't question she she's like been she doesn't want to reveal that she knows Heath. Heath enters the town, and people are like, who's this crazy old dude? And mm-hmm. So they, they know each other. It's like some kind of weird time jump has happened where she's been there for years, and she was also given the same box and said, uh, play this for a message from Heath. So there, so Heath is on Westworld, and it's revealed that this is where it starts to get a little funky, you know, sci-fi-wise. Soul-wise. 
um, the person that runs this town, you know, in the in the hills, is another Heath. And not only that, but it's the Heath with See? the fear agent tattoo. God. Oh my god! Can I get into this right Please, now, yeah, guys? You, you can get into it now. I want to get into something called soul theory. Okay, so the protagonist of this entire run to this point has in fact been the imperfect clone of Heath Houston, right? Made by the Jelly Brains and uh, considered the prime, the the Heath that we should follow through this entire adventure. He's a, an imperfect clone of the original Heath that went back in time to uh, kill the Tin Cans. So what we find out here in West X is that in a alternate timeline, in a, an offshoot of what we know, the real physical Heath, in his confrontation uh, with uh, Gentoo, says, Hey, um, I know I can't possibly win. Uh, let's make a deal. I'll give you everything you need. Just give me a uh, paradise to live on. And my paradise is an old west town where I'm the boss. So you find out that Heath, as we know him, is not a good guy. He's not even really nice. He wants to bend, sell out, cheapen whatever he's earned, and that the real hero is a clone. So in a real way, the hero soul of Heath Houston is commutable to this clone and despite everything he's been through he's the real Heath even though that the actual medical and I'm not a doctor uh, as my doctor will <laughs> let you know I think even the, your, your own doctor says that <laughs> listen I'm not a doctor uh, but the real medical Heath uh, is a scumbag and it blows my mind to know that the real hero of the story is a copy is a copy with a soul, essentially. And I think that is one of the most fascinating and overlooked aspects of Fear Agent. Uh, amazing storytelling by Rick Remendo because not only does life suck, but maybe your soul isn't even important. Oof, Rick. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate about that alternate timeline, Heath. Okay, I'm I'm hearing you. In maybe in that, and I don't want to come off as a Heath defender, but in that alternate timeline, as he leaves with the the Mara the Mara twins, he says he drops a few Mara charges triplets. Uh, for their trouble. So he drops a few explosives to hopefully destroy the Tataldi and Gentoo before he gets in Annie. But essentially, and, he doesn't matter because he, he doesn't succeed. And in in this scenario, I view it as like the Heath making a really bad decision. And then, so he's a normal Heath at this point. But even Charlotte says to him, well, he uh, this, this Heath reveals, you know, I made a few time jumps to find this planet that they made for me, but eventually I found it. And Charlotte even says, well, oh, you made a few time jumps. You know what they say about that is that you make, you know, more than one time jump you might go stark raving mad. So that making mm -hmm. time jumps does something to your brain and your psyche. And 
in that it devolved this Heath into a lunatic on this planet. So he was normal and he probably wouldn't have ran this town like a maniac. But Isn't because he made those time jumps. Devil's advocate argument? I mean, I don't I me personally I mean, it's open to interpretation. I didn't view that as the clone soul scenario. I kind of glossed over all that. In my reading of course. the I'm not saying I'm the correct uh scenario. I'm saying in my reading of the book and my interpretation, I I honestly like this the revelations about the the jelly brains controlling everything in the six page like this is what really happened. That stuff wasn't as important to me or the alternate timeline Heath. Like in in trade 2 like this was the break storyline for three or four issues and the journey of Heath is obviously what I what resonated with me like you could have it could have been the worst writing ever in the explanation portion but I wouldn't even care and the eye against eye sorry go ahead yeah I was just going to say just talking your your talking point about the the writing quality I think the way I viewed it as her saying to OG Heath, uh, those time jumps made you crazy. That's how I interpreted it as well. Like that was the get out of jail free. Like that kind of um, cancels out any sort of um, wonderment. Why you would think this Heath is as stark and insane and brutal as he is because of that one throwaway line. And that yeah. was, um, you know, and, and we saw that, I saw that with, um, you know, Heath originally finding out that the Dressites were peace-loving things after he blows them up or whatever. And so I just, I just took it as that, like, but it didn't, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the story or, you know, make me think it was a cop-out or anything. It was just a style of writing that you had to, I had to deal with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this, the eye against eye trade, the middle part of this omnibus, Heath kind of settles in. Like, he, he wants to stay on this West X and create a life with Charlotte after they deal with, you know, what happens next. And they even, he, I mean, the I think the biggest part of this volume is he wants to sober up. He tells Charlotte in West X that, like, I want to I give it all up. Me and you are here. Um, we're finally here and we're safe. And all we have to do is get our daughter back. All we have to do is get Eden back. Mm. And, th- I mean, I screenshot it on Twitter, obviously, but. Yeah, we saw <laughs> when uh i mean th- i mean this is like the goal of heath and he gets it in west x so he doesn't know anything about the clone or that i'm sorry the real heath at this point but he's like this this could be it for me i'm yeah. happy we could stay here and eventually he has the final battle with the real heath and they they fight and you know his body is all done up and eventually he prevails over the real heath and you know, there's just so many moments at the end of this where, like, you get hope as a reader. Like, you know, this could be this could be great for Heath. He's with Charlotte. He's fixing up Annie so they could go get his daughter. And this is it. 
you know, he goes to rescue Eden. He brings Eden back to West X, and they live happily ever after. And, you know, boy, are you effing wrong. Yeah. If you ever thought that. Yeah, well, especially the... I think the moment, I think, I'm pretty sure, is when they're on the lake, and Heath is pretty much, you know, they, they come together as a couple, and they finally put their hatred their animosity behind mm-hmm. them and Heath is pretty much like I'm happy right now I've been sober two days and I don't know what's with me but I'm ready to start fresh if you are and she just looks up at him and, and is like how could I not be ready and you're at a moment of the book where you've been through so much with Heath that you and this doesn't happen a lot in stories where you feel like the protagonist deserves to be happy because you think it's you think it's just a, a you know a writing exercise to give him a reward but when Charlotte is finally like yeah we we need to make this work for both of our souls we've been through so much life is cheap but we have each other we need to take it like it is a emotional moment when Charlotte Gives in. Well, I don't know if gives in is the right phrase, but when she's like, yeah, you're right. She you need to be in love. She admits the truth that she's been yeah. feeling this way for years. And and I think that was a piece of it, but overall this trade, there's like this continuous slide of personal growth because it, after they fight Andy, it's revealed that the Dressites have Andy on their side. Andy Otto's niece yeah. has been you know, saved. She was on the Dressite planet when he blew it up. So she's kind of their, she's, you know, she's their messenger at this point. And they kidnap Eden for whatever reason. So Heath goes on a mission to save Eden. And the one issue opens so amazing. He's shooting up Dressites left and right. And they translate the Dressite language. And he's like, this one guy's running away from Heath. And he's like, he's here, he's here. And they're like, Who? And the dress I says the last fear agent, and I just like oh. nutted, just and <laughs> yeah. the place. Um, but what's amazing about this issue is he confronts the dressite leader, and he's ready to just blow them away. Like you took my daughter, and the dressite leader is like, we wanted to get, we we needed you. We are a peace loving species. It's we need to put an end to this. We need your help. We need you, Heath Houston, to to fight the Tataldians. You know, will you join us? We we're gonna want to wipe the slate clean. And not only that, but that happens. And then Heath makes peace with Andy, who's wanted nothing but revenge for nothing yeah. like eighteen years, ten years. And you can see everything coming full circle. And that moment, they shake hands, and I was just like, oh, man, I can't believe it. You know, Heath yeah. and the Dressites shaking hands. After three quarters of the entire series is animosity and Dressites being, you know, just as bad as the Tataldians in the eyes of the Earth people and stuff. It's come, and the it's, reader. Yeah, and then the reader. It comes to that. I mean, it comes to a truce that's taken care of in two pages of explanation. Well, I think the real come to peace moment is um when and when he basically tells Andy 
you know, I never knew that I left you there. Mm-hmm. And you know me better than to think I would have let you take the rap. And out of respect for your father, we need to make this right right now. And she just melts with that Heath Houston honor, like that old Texas cowboy honor that is, you know, irrefutable once he calls upon it. And when they hug, and she's at this point a monster. But even to know that how far gone she is, she recognizes that honor in him and they hug it it's it melts you inside like yeah because you're like it's amazing you're like they could finally get something accomplished after all this time working together and andy putting it behind her so so not bad so was so good as she handled it for being turned into a dressite hybrid Human. Yeah, assassin, yeah. jelly, uh, poison face. <laughs> uh, but it it kind of gives you hope in life that like, no matter what, you can have animosity. You could not be friends with someone. You could say or do awful things about each other. But when push comes to shove, it's life, and you can let it go. And you recognize that a person is really just a person. And to get that, to get that communicated to you through a veil of (laughs) of pure sci-fi is and I'm going to use this word and I've never used this word on this podcast Recommendo's writing and Fear Agent is transcendent wow I think Slim's crying off camera because he knows I'm right I think I I think I exhausted all my tears on the train reading the (laughs) Transcendent. Transcendent. And all that hope immediately just goes right down the crapper. They, they, Duh. he and the dressites and Charlotte are like celebrating at, at the Alamo, maybe. I can't remember if that was the location, but they're yeah. like, you know, here we are. We're going to build a new future together. You know, humans, dressites, it doesn't matter. And, the seeds that the Italians have been dropping that they're, you know, using the precision chronodome for precise time travel comes to fruition where Charlotte turns around and she's half Italian. Oh, 150 million years a booby trap has laid in the making. Finally unravels itself at that exact moment. And not only that, but Eden is also Italian. So his entire family gone again and he gets shot right in the chest by his family whoops Um, yeah like good bad goodness goodness me that's the and that's the end of the arc that's the end of the issue like i wonder if the next issue came out the next month or was there a wait or something because i think the end that last issue said like to be concluded (coughs) i i think i don't remember if that was in the print version i I have to check my issue but that, like, and it, and it doesn't stop there because Andy and Nick, the Russian, rescue him and they just get the heck out of Dodge at that point. The Italians and Dressites are fighting. It's all over on Earth again. Just get the heck out of there. Yeah, it's over. nothing has changed. Nothing. And and he's, he's pretty much going <laughs> to die in like two seconds. So Andy comes up with this plot to shoot the freonium, whatever you call it, the ice, into yeah. his chest to just save his brain. 
for now and she has a plan so she remembers that the OG Heath is with the Dressite army just getting tortured to death and she brings <laughs> she brings up that Heath laugh. to uh, swap minds so that he can have another body his you know alternate timeline wise his original body but man even then that issue was just a punch in the in the ends because they they do all that work to swap minds he wakes up OG Heath wakes up it's not even our Heath murders Andy murders Nick yeah like they just they just think that the process is going to be complete and the, and clone Heath's mind and OG Heath's body everything's going to be perfect no <laughs> no <laughs> and not only that but like Nick's face is just like cut in half Andy <laughs> Poor Andy. She lives a life of just total revenge depression. She turns a corner, helps Heath, and then just gets murdered by OG Heath. And then even worse than that, a few seconds later, the mind transfer finally works, and Heath looks around, and there's just death around him. Again. Yeah, so so he uh, he just overcomes OG Heath's mind, but the fact that he did it. I mean, he's sitting, he's existing in the same body that just committed these atrocities towards the people he's loved. It's just no end. There's no end to the inhumanity that Heath experiences. It's just a, a terrible thing to, to have to deal with. And what's amazing, too, is the next issue... Fast forward nine years, where his body is aging at, at a pace where his original timeline existed, and because of all the timelines, his his body is just aging very fast. So he's kind of an old man at the next issue. What about after after he commits the atrocities? Though he runs back in Annie and dives for the first bottle of liquor. Oh yeah, Ugh. yeah. I screenshotted that one. I forgot about Come that. Come on. And he's just like, he shows just the little drop enter his mouth because he's just trying to empty the bottle because he just needs his, he God. needs that medicine right now. Oh my and he, God. And there, there's not even any words. Annie's just like asking, like, where is everybody? Is everything all right? What's wrong? And there's just right. three panels Whoops. where he's just lifting the bottle to his mouth and he just dives into depression again and and alcoholism and i actually was going through my print trades my print books of this series and remender wrote you know they thought the alcoholism and stuff was was too much like almost too i don't know too real and too good and he 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 said it might have been even in like a cbr post that he was able to write himself but he's like it's easy for, you know, Wolverine or Iron Man. His favorite issues were like when Iron Man was a drunk. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is like real alcoholism. Like you can see Wolverine go to the bar and get S-faced and miserable for an issue, but he's fine the next issue. It's like this is what the disease is. And yeah. you see a character go into the bottle and they're like this is a real life thing. This isn't something yeah. that just, you know, they wake up the next morning, they're fine. 
And you see that over the course of these 30-ish, 30-plus issues. And this moment that you just pointed out is like the apex of that. Yeah, because whatever sobriety he had, it's just like that's that's the disease that an alcoholic has to live with. The battle, and when you lose the battle, it's you're, you're reset. You're just everything you've worked for reset and out the window and you're back just back to normal which is you know a bad normal but Mm -hmm. god that i mean that those three panels were just like (laughs) mind mind blowing crap dale i i'm kind of jealous of you because this is was just a reread for me but the transition from volume one to volume two and the change in the story Mm-hmm. God, how did you feel reading this for the first time? I mean, it was just it was a roller it was a roller coaster. I wanted to just hit back and get back to that bottle too because it doesn't let up. <laughs> we're we're in the third arc of the omnibus, and it doesn't. There's no like top of the roller coaster coming back down to to happiness. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not yet. Not, not by yet. far. Yeah. So the out of step trade. I'm looking at my notes. I say for issue one, swap minds. R.I.P. Nick. R.I.P. Andy. No. And then sub note, he drinks again. Exclamation points. So issue <laughs> issue two is nine years in the future. He's he's been. Um, He's meeting with another species that is allegedly the last species on the planet that hasn't been Tataldianized, and they want his help. In the galaxy, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he says no because he knows they've been infiltrated already, so there's no hope for them. So he just... And then he gets uh, apprehended by the Zarin, the the feeder race that has always swooped in after the Tataldians and the Dressites have been battling the yeah, reptiles the that, mm-hmm. yeah, they've been, you know, ripping faces off. And then in a bombshell, they reveal that they're not a feeder race and that the race that you always see after the two species that come in and fight are outcasts and they're vultures and they're actually a race of scientists. So the, here's another scenario where you're, preconceived notions about a people or a group have just been flipped upside down where yeah. you assumed that the entire race was like this, but you're wrong. It was just a group that you only know about. And now this group has some startling information that they want to reveal to Heath and they need his help and they want his help. Like I didn't, I didn't notice it, I guess maybe until this reread, but like that kind of, you know, incorrect judgment really stuck out at me this time around. Yeah, it's a good thing Heath didn't drive a tractor trailer truck full of uh, toxic, <laughs> toxic bomb to their home world and blow them up. I mean, they're scientists. For... Well, he's he's got some character growth. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, actually, even actually, not even true because this trade reveals that he's been annihilating entire planets and species that have been Italianized. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's has been that's been his personal mission. And by the way, he looks amazing. Oh, that mustache. Aged, aged Heath yeah, Houston. The, old Keith or old Keith. Here we go. Keith's, old Heath is Keith's my favorite. 
Yeah, old Heath yeah, that, is Keith did the right thing. Okay, he's he's he looked like Sam Elliott. Oh, man. at least that mustache did. Come on. Oh my you gosh! Know it. Can you imagine a perfect world? If so, that he was voice, still alive, I'm pretty uh, sure he's dead. But Sam Elliott listen, playing old old Heath in Out of Step. <laughs> oh man! In the final issue. Uh, and this Who is not a spoiler. This no, is he's just jumping, he's uh, jumping. He's jumping ahead. No, no, no. Let's, let him, I, let's listen, just let him have I, it. I just leaped over the gun. I'm not going to tell you anything th- story wise. We're going to backtrack. Sam Elliott alive, by the way. The <laughs> the country western version of Amazing Grace was just in my head those last twenty pages. Mm. And Heath Houston is the ultimate cowboy. I'll tell you. And that's the best character model. I think the whole series is the elderly dying Heath with his eye patch, his his shock of white hair, his Dale underscore A ish shock of white hair, and his his beautiful handlebar mustache. I mean, Slim, I've been watching your uh, Google Hangout toolbox icon this entire episode and. I get a tear to my eye every time I see your screenshot. See? No spoilers. No story elements. Just how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Slim. <laughs> these these two issues turn, just turned me into putty. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I read these. I read the last trade on the train home tonight. Just tears running down my face. The last two issues... Went perfect, perfectly mix in flashbacks of Heath's childhood. Oh my god! Yeah, and when he first met Charlotte, and not only that, but the mother that he's talked about in such high regard for the majority of the series, she's revealed to be an alcoholic. She's the one where he got it from, and during his childhood, she kept it from him. She kind of. His father was always made out to be the deadbeat when he was a kid, and that wasn't the case the entire time. It was her. It was his mother, and that storyline is amazing. The it's revealed to Heath that the jelly brains have been behind this whole thing. When he first went back in time and told the the king what was going to happen, and the queen intervened. She took action from that exact moment to ensure that it was a peaceful solar system and that the Tataldians just took over. She controlled their minds to just eradicate any kind of possibility of violence against them. And that was her goal from that point on. And the king disagreed, and he bolted out of there and tried to to, to ensure that Heath, you know, would, would set on the course to... to, to you know, to make sure that didn't happen. And, and, to, and like, this is the stuff I was talking about. Like, this is like deep sci-fi. This is where the explanation happened. And like, in my head, I was just like, just get me back to Heath. I want to see what happens mm-hmm. to Heath right now. Yeah. Give me more of the backstory of alcoholic Heath's mom ruining, you know, his first possible date scenario with Charlotte. And, and I've talked about it on a past episode, so maybe I won't talk too much about it, but, he confronts the jelly brains finally this is the final battle 
you know, we're going to stop the jelly brains, we're going to steal the chronochrome, chronodome, and go to the Big Bang in the exact location where the Tetaldian planet is going to exist. We're going to zap it so it never happens. I mean, if that's not deep, hard, boring sci-fi, I don't know what it, is. I Exactly. When I, when I read that plan, I was just like... Holy Moses Malone! Like, how do you <laughs> the the tachyon frog or the however you say that yeah that phrase <laughs> the the, that was their secret weapon? This frog that eats time. Just, I mean, just to imagine you just walking up during the Big Bang and just like flicking the speck of dust out of alignment. <laughs> that's going to become the Tataldian planet. Crazy. That is some. Um... Arthur C. Clarke-esque yeah. sci-fi mojo. And Rick Remendo is a student of sci-fi, and he has become the master with Fear Agent, without a doubt. Heath confronts the Jelly Brains to, to finally get rid of them, and that was the moment which, they, which I missed uh, originally where he first interrogated the Jelly Brain that the Zarens captured, you know, all... I'll I'll show you what has happened and what's been going on this entire time, but it would only be a one-way transmission because if your head ever entered my mind, it would destroy me, <laughs> the grief that you've been through. So that comes full circle now. He's like, okay, you know, you 10 jelly brains, just I'm going to open the doors. You enter my brain right now and just mm-hmm. see what you've done to me all these years. And there's just the speech on that page just print it out, put it on all my walls in this apartment right now. <laughs> I mean, the culmination of everything that's happened to Heath, the jelly brains have been behind the whole thing. They get it all. All the grief, all the guilt, everything, the loss, the dead. Just, and, and they can't even take the grief. They die. The jelly brains die and they're dead because they saw what Heath has gone through his entire life. I mean, you can't you can't write that any better. Exactly. You're absolutely right. That is it. I mean, it's it's just because we've been there. We've we've been along for the ride and saw a lot of the highlights, but uh, it killed us. I mean, Heath's yeah. grief kills us. It's just a phenomenal method of storytelling. And then from there they he gets back in Annie and his Tataldian version of Charlotte is there to try and stop him. So even then, you think he's got it, but then he's like, oh, God, he's got to fight his wife at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, his wife that has never existed. And so, I mean, he's like kaput at this point. He's got like nothing left. And in one of the greatest kind of curveballs, Annie is still around and takes over the robotic body of and Charlotte, who might be the love of of uh, I must say Keith Keith's life, <laughs> might be the <laughs> might be the love of Heath's life, Annie. And I think the greatest panel, like I don't know, maybe it just hit me until now, but the most maybe the most poignant panel in the entire series is when Annie as Charlotte picks up Heath because his back is just done, and she's carrying him. Mm. Like in her hands, like Heath, you've done enough your entire life. It's you know, it's 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 you don't have to push anymore. You don't have to do it anymore. 
and she and she picks him. I'm starting to tear up. And she picks him up, and like he's he's starting to cry, and she she wipes his tear away. I mean, like that's uh. it. That's it. I'm done. I'm finished. It's just great to see. I mean, it, it, he he just thought of everybody and everything because Annie was there from the beginning, and you just you just assume that when she was infected, she's just another victim. Mm-hmm. But she's one of the ones that really was rooting for Heath, and they've had this special relationship, so Annie's not quite finished yet. And she, just to see her have that interf- interaction with the machinery, Charlotte, it was just, I mean, it was just a very satisfying, even if it was I- in the most depressing of moments, like what Annie could do for Heath. What the... Because what about, she's always done for Heath. Slim talks about the panel where she uses her robotic claw to wipe away the tear, but then the next moment it, it is a claw. Uh, <laughs> it sounds funny when you say it like out loud. <laughs> picture that. Picture a little claw like wiping a tear away. But she kisses him, and the kiss is not the most you know climactic part but it's his stuttering of D- don't go I know like he's Heath he, is he crying finally, Heath oh cried. my god finally Annie who may be the love of his life let's be real uh, somehow is able to physically touch him and they share a very chaste kiss of a bond we could never understand as men and he doesn't want her to go he knows he's dying he he's with someone who genuinely loves him after years yeah. of feeling betrayed by Charlotte and the tin cans and he finally for the last time gets that contact from Annie who's been the only person to understand him and the only person to root for him no matter what yeah is her because I mean because we're, I mean, don't we're, go. Ta- we're talking How a ton simple. about it we're talking don't a ton go. about it but Annie and Heath have spent the most time together Ever like Annie's been there for Heath's lows and highs that probably turn into lows very quickly, but he's she's the one. Like Charlotte's his wife, but to Charlotte's credit, Annie was programmed by Charlotte to be yes. Charlotte. So the, if you want to think, are you an that Annie way, apologist right now? The AI apologist. I mean, in my head, the AI was Charlotte. Like that's. Charlotte in his in his ship as a computer program and then like she is a, is able to extend herself but she, as, she's like the more perfect person yeah I wonder if her I wonder if Charlotte's name is Charlotte Ann Houston and that's why he calls her Andy Annie rather canny what do you think <laughs> canny can't canny. Talk no, he right calls now. her canny that was I'm so emotional the book canny and Keith uh, so, she, uh, Annie sh- slash Charlotte slash Cyborg uh, readies the gun and shoots the Big Bang area where she needs to to eradicate the Tatalians. So, the last few pages are Heath sitting back and watching, you know, taking in the spoils. He did it. He, you know, everything he did finally happened he did the right thing all his work paid off his family's alive it's just it's just amazing just amazing the 
the most poignant parts of that uh, I mean realize a couple things he's his body is still exists outside of time so Heath is ostensibly set the timeline in the most positive path he can the tin cans never were able to invade earth he never became a fear agent so his father and son never died so what we're seeing is the moments after what the evasion could have been and annie in her last gift to heath lets uh him overhear their conversation so he's in orbit he's spent he's got moments left and this is the heath that's been through it all gets to hear how his life could have been and the happiness and he gets the feeling. To see. He gets to watch. He, yeah, there's yeah, he watches he, it. Uh, he gets to know that all his work was for something. So as much as Rick has put us through, yeah. In the end, he gets to know that his legacy will continue. And how many people will ever know once they pass away that their legacy will be positive? And maybe that's what life is all about. So. Heath gets to die with tears of joy in his eyes because he gets to know that no matter how much he effed up and no matter how hard it was, his legacy will live on and that people will be happy because of the work he's done, even though it's not him physically. Yeah. Rooster Rewards. It's it's like you don't you don't absolutely know what could possibly ever make things better for what you've just been put through and what Heath has been put through. But if there was any, like I, and to be completely honest, I did not expect a happy ending. I know slim. I know you talked about it before on the show, but you've, you've, you've read quotes and I I specifically never tweeted screenshots of the final issue right even though i always want to because it spoils the ending and you never spoke about what actually happened you you kept it high level enough and spoiler free enough where you could read a beautiful samuel clemens quote and still not give away what happened so when i finally see that there's a happy ending to this and you don't you could never imagine a happy ending that would be fitting enough except when you read it and you're like this is how to end the book. This is how to end Heath Houston's legacy. To be able to, for him to be able to watch the 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 Tatalian uh, invasion never take place, and to s- watch Charlotte give the birth announcement or the pregnancy announcement to the, the rest of this family, and he gets to see all that. And you don't you don't assume that there could be anything that could make this book good in the end but that's exactly what it is and i i and it was doubly amazing because i just didn't expect a happy ending after what heath houston went through i just pictured it was going to be like a uh you know one of those books where that's just what happens like life sucks kind of book i didn't honestly had no idea which was amazing to read for the first time the one of my favorite ones that i don't think i really ever tweaked the no to tell he's watching his son 
and a version of him, you know, what will become him, alive. He's no Tataldians, no invasion. My son is alive. Joy so pure it dilutes the pain. Recreated the universe, saved humanity, never gave up. I mean, like, that's like his redemption. I mean, the whole... The whole book has been about redemption and second chances, and he finally gets it, and he just watches it all unfold, and there's just so many good panels of him just, like, watching and crying. It's just yeah, amazing. I mean, he gets to see Otto again. He gets to see Andy again, you know, and he gets to see mm-hmm. the two people from the bunker who didn't make it very far. I forget what their names are, but it's just really... It was just really, really satisfying. Really, completely satisfying. Hmm. And you're not even that upset to know, to watch him fly, you know, into that sun. Mm-hmm. Because he lives on. He gets another shot at life complete. God, Jonesy. Hmm. Him and his dad. Hugging. At least it wasn't coming from Jonesy's iPhone into the <laughs> microphone, <laughs> as is his usual mixing skills. <laughs> Guys, just let it happen. Don't deflect with humor right now when you know you're What's, feeling. What song it. is this? Is this Taps? What this are you listening is to the right now? Amazing Grace on the Scottish bagpipes, sir. I saw you looking away, so you don't tear up. The only time I teared up this episode was when I talked about him being held by Annie. <laughs> mm. Canny. Still here, Canny. Canny, yeah. Still flying. I like When, when Canny held Keith, Keith, I think is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think some special friends of the show are having a montage moment right now listening to this with the bagpipes in the background. Bex Gordon is just crying uncontrollably in Bex her, <laughs> her her Bex Gordon is that what I said? Bex Gordon, her her high rise Manhattan job, a luau is going on in the background. And she is just crying her eyes out. Some astroturf uh, luau at the top of on top of some building. Maybe bagpipes don't resonate with other people like they do with you, Gen Z. Maybe, maybe, I she's, could, maybe I, this is drying the tears of Bex Gordo. I had bagpipes at my wedding, and I could not keep my tears under any kind of control. <laughs> mm. Pretty, it's a pretty fitting uh, song for the end of Paper Keg, though. In all honesty, yeah, the end of Paper Keg. Yeah, God bless. Yeah, you know, that's it. There's no reason to continue after doing these two books. I mean, this. I'm this just really pleased. Is what it's all about. I'm ple- you know, Jonesy revealed a bombshell last episode that he had read it in its entirety and just never told anybody <laughs> several times. <laughs> and I'm pleased that Dale was able to experience it. Oh man, I mean, and good or bad, I just good or bad, I just want people to experience the book. You exactly. can pick it pick it apart. I'm totally fine with that. You know, just I want to, you to experience it. I got to experience it and and after all this time, I got to experience it spoiler-free, which is the way to do it. So if you haven't read Fear Agent, please don't listen to these episodes until you do read Fear Agent. <laughs> but, I mean, in the last week, I spoke about how what I, my 
preconceived notion of what fear agent was going to be and what what I thought the, uh, the you know what, essentially what the tales of the fear agent I thought was going to be the main storyline of fear agent but mm-hmm. knowing what I know now that Heath Houston did not take up the profession of fear agent to be an outer space exterminator and it I don't know if it's whether my interpretation of the solicits or the solicits themselves for the first volume but to know that Heath Houston created the fear agents specifically to to combat against the Dressite and Tataldians which has been the point of the whole series to begin with like I get I get why there's no ancillary offshoot tales of the fear agent in the main story because there's no room for it because he didn't like I just originally thought Heath Houston applied for to be an Ehrlich man in space because the fear agency was a long standing corporation of, of alien exterminators it's not that at all he and his buddies formed the fear agents specifically for the drama that unfolds in the whole series so I, I'm I'm very much more satisfied and my um, my alignment for what I expected is changed for the better it's just I mean it's an incredible ride for and for two to get two beautiful hardcovers for like you know seventy five eighty dollars total maybe seventy five seventy bucks hundred twenty five Dale <laughs> mortgage canceler maybe you got a discount you know you don't know you don't know how Dale buys these things he's got a dealer the, uh, well that's the Jonesy math with two fifty dollar books he's doing one hundred twenty five dollars <laughs> so that's the Keith Candy math. Listen, Keith and Candy, Keith Candy tax. will go down in paper cake history. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, final thoughts from Jones and Gold's beer. <laughs> go right ahead. ahead. <laughs> Are you ready? Metaphysical <laughs> thoughts. Dale has got it on the nose. Cate- um, catechisical thoughts. Listen, uh, like, like Keith Heath and like us all, uh, you can't put a number or a weight to the soul. The real soul is in your ability to choose right from wrong and to do the right thing. And while Heath chooses to do the wrong thing a lot of the time, it's his soul that gets him through the end, no matter what body he has. Uh, what a great statement about this life from Rick Remendo. And God, I want to cry into a microphone in front of two grown men and perhaps the world. But uh, what an amazing story uh, vetted by a love of sci-fi and we'll never, ever get another comic or story quite like it. And that kind of makes me happy a little bit. We got your letters I'm gonna open them up Farrington's gonna read them To you 
letters at paperkeg.com. Shoot us a letter. We might read it on the air. Our first letter comes from one uh, friend of the show, Bex Gordon. <laughs> um, she'd taken, ta- taken uh, time out of her rooftop party scheduling to uh, get to this. Uh, douche move, Remendo. A fear agent thesis. Oops. I've been thinking about what Dale said about the reveal in the last goodbye that the dressites are totally innocent peace-loving plant blobs who hate their army and had nothing to do with the awful treatment of Earth. When he called that a douche move, what I thought was A, it totally was, and B, oh God, just wait for Library Edition Volume 2. So, here's a long-winded literary analysis of the patented Remendo douche move because why not? First of all, the first one comes way before that with Volume 1. The dramatic change in tone between Volumes 1 and 2 probably mostly had to do with Rick's um, own emotional state, but sh- but it sure feels like he pulls you in with an awesome space-western-type deal where Indy slash Han Solo drinks a lot and fights monkey aliens. It's the ultimate escapism, what pulpy, what pulpy sci-fi should be. So maybe you sit down in your armchair late at night with a glass of whiskey, ready to dive into Volume 2, thinking it'll be more space cowboy hijinks and the perfect way to avoid thinking about your own life for a little while. And to that, Remendo says, Haha, sucker, this book will have a lot of funny-looking aliens, but it really will be, and brutally so, all about the S you're running from. And if you've ever felt like you totally effed up everything in your life, if you've ever loved someone and lost them, well, I just hope you've got a lot of whiskey. Show sure, Volume 3 is prob- probably one of the weakest plot-wise, but, it, but it's also one of my favorites. Yeah, a different author would have approached the story totally differently. My good friend Bobby Kay, sure as S, would <laughs> have told you about the terrible toilet bucket stitch in that shelter. <laughs> the to- toilet bucket toilet bucket situation. And also, what they're eating how gr- and how gross it is and that they haven't washed their clothes, much less their bodies, even once in three months, and where, when they're knocking boots. But Rick doesn't give two S's about the logistics of this post-apocalyptic Earth. What he cares about is punching you in the throat with throwaway panels like these. And he, uh, th- uh, there's a couple dialogue exchanges. I thought you were close with them, too. Guess I was wrong. Nah, not too much. Listen, I'm late for my lesson with George. So that's kind of one of the Remendo patented off-handed get things moving along same day i lost jack thank the lord his mother wasn't around to break the news to jesus i'm sorry glenn didn't mean to take you back there what before that your dramatic your dramatic read is almost as good as the actual read in your head (laughs) yeah and i'm 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 mindful of the time too It would take 30 issues of The Walking Dead. Welcome to the third hour of Paper Keg. It would take 30 issues of The Walking Dead or most any book for us to care as much about these people as I did straight away after meeting them and watching them lose every GD thing in their lives. So, Remendo also doesn't care if the Dressite's homeworld reveal seems to come out of left field because that's how it feels to Heath too, like someone Mm -hmm. kicking him in his front's piece. (laughs) And that's how it should feel to you too. So when Slim kept saying just wait about seeming plot holes, it's true. But maybe not because 
all the loose narrative threads get tied up in the second half. I don't even know for sure if they do, because by the end of this book, I wasn't thinking about that at all. Literally couldn't. It feels like it all comes together in those final scenes, like it's the natural final chapter for Heath. Almost catch a break, then watch it turn to S before your eyes, Houston. And that's what matters, you know? Uh, in parentheses, can't believe I called my last letter serious when this was coming next. Oops. Also, you should probably know that I wrote this in Notes app on my phone on the subway when suddenly overcome by fear agent feelings. Hashtag lol sob. Best Bex. You, want, you know what? That's actually very good. That's a very good way of looking at it, Bex, and I thank you for that but yeah it's 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 absolutely true the way he kind of kicks you in the bees with Heath finding out he uh you know just killed a bunch of um peaceful folk and that's the way you find out but that actually works that's she's good man she's good thanks they'll, for the letter. Uh, they'll wipe your brow and drink some water I got this next I actually one. forgot my water upstairs tonight too so it's uh, oh my gosh Next letter is entitled, Gimme That Blimp. Hey, PK. Quick letter work here. TMNT, the first film, changed my life forever. I'm pretty sure I started a house fire watching that VHS so many times. The film just ignited an unholy mix of pure action and nirvana. My mind was blown apart by seeing my favorite cartoon brought to life and one of the absolute best comic cartoon movie ap- uh, adaptations to date. And Jonesy, that blimp, I had the van, the turtles that morphed from real turtles to Ninja Turtles, hmm. Shredder, the rock and roll turtles, all of it. But no blimp. It remained on my Christmas list well into my 20s. Still no blimp. <laughs> Love, guys. Paul, P.S., City Fall Letter Incoming, I just got to let it sit first. Find the words, you know? And that's Paul Shirley, a good friend of the show, host of both the Antelite Characters and the Turtle Jump podcasts. Uh, Paul, I uh, just thir- turned 32 years young mm. uh, just the other day, yeah. and I still do not have the turtle point. So I feel you. I feel you. Mm. Great Next movie. Up. I feel you. Great movie, yeah. You. Listen to the Paper Keg uh, episode where we talked about Teen TMNT, the movie. <clears throat> Next up. Uh, yeah, Dale, I'm actually going to take this one because oh. there is a yeah. a special request uh, that pretty much says, I'm terrible and you need to read the letter from this uh, writer. <laughs> Not that I take that to heart and you know felt a certain way from that at work today at my desk when I read that. <laughs> uh, but whatever, I, I'm, I'm getting off course. Uh, this uh, letter is entitled, Heath the Genocidal Maniac? Uh, greetings, gentlemen. Long-time Twitter, recent paper cake listener, first-time letter writer. I bought the Fear Agent Library Editions, yes, on Slim's recommendation after great sadness that Dark Horse has still refused to put their books on Comixology in parentheses. Come on, Mike, get with the program. Uh, anyway... It is the first paper comic I've bought in years, Hmm. and it is great, especially Opinion's amazing art. 
this guy is just letter filleting you right now, Slim. Feels and good. the clever, brutal storytelling. That paper stock. I'm, Come on. <laughs> I'm now about to read uh, Eye Against Eye in Volume 2. Question, is Heath learning anything or developing as a character? During the initial invasion, he genocides the Dressites. Oh, oh, hold on. My letter app just crashed. Come on. This is awful. Uh, here we go. Okay. He, uh, he genocides the Dressites. Ten years later, without hesitation, he genocides the Teltalians. Teltaldans. Though that was subsequently undone by the time Lordy types. Remendo is making... Uh, is making me feel a little grimy about supporting a repeat offender genocider. Thoughts? Mm. Thanks to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, that's Matt H uh, on the Twitter. Thanks for writing in for the first time. I feel like supporting Heath is what you go through when you support someone that keeps making bad decisions, you know, and c- cares but doesn't really show it the right way or the the way you expect. You have to like you have to keep caring and just hope that they turn a corner and you know if Matt had kept reading you probably would see that he did he's like you know I want to be sober mm-hmm. I want to you know I want to be better I'm tired of the tired of waking up and the next morning with a haze and not remembering what I did the night before so I mean there there was there was hope in eye against eye character wise yeah yeah unfortunately things didn't go as well for Heath that trade mhm Thanks for genocide, uh, schmenocide. Yeah, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, uh, Matt. Thanks for the um, thanks for the email. He's been uh, tweeting us lately, and it's been really cool to start engaging with him. It's always cool to engage with new people. You know what I mean? Yeah, and first print purchase in years, and it was Fear Agent. Man alive! Come to the meetup, Matt H. He bought it from the uh, the Isotope Comics, which is famous mm. for. Like I I know about Isotope Comics and I'm not even in San Francisco area, but the guy with the mm-hmm. hair over there, I forgot his name. That's I right. apologize, <laughs> James. James, yeah. Um, next up, I'm gonna read it as it's printed, and with with a special request. Yes, I was requested to read it for. She probably just likes to hear my voice. Yeah, whatever. She probably I mean, just, she probably just likes to hear my voice. Dearest Paper Keg, when you love someone, you'll Dear do... Dearest Dale. I'm not even going to read this letter. Let's just keep... Let's just <laughs> Dearest Paper Keg, when you love someone, you'll do some pretty crazy stuff. And so I decided to give Fear Agent a read. For having only read a small handful of comics, this one was a lot to take in. It essentially spans over millions of years, going back to the Big Bang. Some real Neil deGrasse tyson S. Guys, I read... Abelard. <laughs> That's like zero to a million. I was able to read the first half a second time before continuing so I could better grasp the timeline the timeline of what happened and may reread the second half again, but I liked it. And this is all coming from a comic noob, which is not your demographic anyway. Can I interject? Any sort of comic reader is our demographic, I would hope. All right? We're for every well, audience. That's why, probably why she wanted you to read it, because you're so... Uh, I did. I should have said, you know, Degrassi, Tyson S. Though I, <laughs> but I was 
But I do have two questions, wondering which part really tugged at your heartstrings or made you think about real situations in your life, whether it's a certain Clemens quote or a story that he told. I think the one that definitely sticks with me, sticks with me is angers and acid that will do more harm to the vessel in which it's stored than to anything on which it's poured. I knew of the quote before, but I thought it was placed perfectly. Also, I'm fantastic at holding onto grudges. Ask Slim, haha, what? My second question, I wanted to know if Mo or and Kate are as lucky... <laughs> Ten minutes of air quotes inserted. <laughs> as I am to have someone recommending books... <laughs> recommending books, make sure you roll your eyes about now for me to knock his ego <laughs> back down a few pegs. We can't let us get his head too big. But have you gotten your wives to read anything that holds a dear place in your heart? Cheers. At Naminity on the Twitter, Slim's dear, beautiful wife. Wow. So you got her, <laughs> Kiss to, ass. You got her to read a Fear Agent, huh? And she read did. it. Did you she have to read beg it. her? Um, she, I think she knew. She tried to read it before, I think. And she knew that this was a big two episodes for us, and I think she knows what the book is to me. And she wanted to, you know, wanted to experience it. And she's to to my wife's credit, who doesn't read comic books, she's she shows an interest in what I'm interested in and wants to experience and you know see if she can love what I love you know, maybe in different ways. And she, she, she read the whole thing. Couldn't believe it. It's amazing. Yeah. That's like, Very that's, lucky. that's a really beautiful gesture. I mean, even if she still has no interest in comics coming out of fear agent, it's still really beautiful. It is. The, um, the first question was, what was the, what portions of the book tugged at your heartstrings? I think. Right, and what was the reason mm-hmm. why, or what did you? When did you resonate most with Heath? That's a really good question. I, it's deep. It is it's really deep. deep. Maybe, might have to come back to it. Jonesy looks like he's about to hang can, himself. Can, can it be answered? When did I most resonate with uh, Keith? I think uh, the, the the big. I mean, there's just. The issue where he's uh, drifting away and is rescued by the Jello Brains. I talked about it last episode. You know, knowing when to quit isn't one of your strong points. Good Lord's seen fit to give me every opportunity. Pissed every one of them away. It's one of my favorite pages. But, I mean, there's just the parts with Charlotte at the end where she she says she loves him and, you know, you don't need the alcohol. I'm here. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. The uh, those are the pages where I just lost it. I'll, t- I, Game I'll tell you where where I lost it. Cue my bagpipes. Uh, <laughs> aren't you cueing them? I love. I don't. I, I love. <laughs> if if you guys aren't watching this, <laughs> his eyes are closed. He's getting ready to just like speak deeply into the mic, <laughs> and he demands someone cue his bagpipes. It was. It's I beautiful mean, on film. Cue minutes beautiful. ago. Twenty minutes ago, Jonesy referenced himself to give the final thoughts. He's like, "Final thoughts." Jonesy loves beer on Fear Agent. Uh, it was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Can Can I talk about the moment that that's yeah. most resonating? Is that all right? Uh, we We're listen. at one hour forty 
five Jeez. minutes. I, I don't care. JFC. And this is the reason that I don't care. Look, you guys are fathers, uh, so I hope what I'm about to say resonates with both of you. And look, uh, we all know as fathers that uh, our sons will outlive us. And is it possible for any man to know that his family will be okay? No, it's not. That's a real fear that fathers have about their kids is will, when I'm gone, will they be okay? So when Heath, no matter how essy his life was, gets to know, gets to live the ultimate father fantasy to know that his children will be all right. I, uh, I can't even. It, it's just listen to the bagpipes. That's that's amazing. And I didn't even know that, that fantasy was so deep seated in me until I read this final issue. To know that my son and daughter will be okay, I get that. Uh, that resonated with me. I just went back through uh, the pictures on my phone because stuff that would have resonated, I would have took and taken a picture of. And I think it does go back to Heath's dad talking to him about people not wanting to see other people happy. And uh, it's and it's just so true because it takes it's it's like it takes so much more energy to not be that person that uh you know wants to just see and get off on other people's misery like it takes it takes more energy to not be that person you know what i mean because you have to actively avoid falling into that trap and that i that rings true i mean that really rings true for me and it, it drives me crazy when there there are people like that who just are out to make people other people unhappy or miserable in any way they can just to bring them down to their level yeah 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 that's Dale good one and uh yeah I don't think my wife um hasn't but I haven't really begged her to because I know I'm I'm unsure if it's worth the fight (laughs) or worth the begging you know what I mean to get her to do it she has. To, I'm to flattered. My credit. I don't. I don't think I begged my wife to do it because I, did, I don't. I don't think I did. And she. Uh, she's like nudging me, like, um, oh, "What's that fear agent book? You're doing that? Oh, oh my god, it. amazing!" But um, I mean, I I, I just get ultra flattered that that she like will sometimes queue up the show, like when we're driving on a road trip or something. She'll queue up YouTube and start watching the show. I, I love that. Hmm. My wife hates think? podcasts. She would rather jump into a hot fire than listen to a podcast in that car. I know she's got the nice new head unit ready for podcast playing. Nope. nope. She's got to listen to Hot 97. Nope. <laughs> North hot fresh. Bloomfield. Hot and fresh 97.5. <laughs> Jonesy, when's the, what's the last comic book Kate uh, has read? I don't think last any. five comics are not her thing. I think the opposite is true. I think uh, I, I've 
been trying to give more than I get. I mean, I've been getting into <laughs> things like true crime, mm-hmm. like things that my wife enjoys that I've been trying to experience with her. So, cold case? Cold, cold case one of them? Cold case is one of them. Uh, but the hope is there that, you know, if I put in the effort, maybe one day she'll, uh, she'll get this library edition stand off the shelf and be like, this is for you. You wouldn't give her an iPad with those digital versions. You would want her to lug that <laughs> omnibus onto herself and possibly suffocate to death. Well, you know, lug it that's onto the herself. chance for love. That's love. <laughs> that is love. Lugging it onto herself would be... <laughs> Grave indeed. Maybe she'll get that iPad Mini out, and uh, you're gonna be playing Amazing Grace. You know when you lift that omnibus off her lifeless body. Listen, I will make you both a commitment. If she decides that she is going to read Fear Agent, I'm going to take bagpipe lessons, and I will play Amazing Grace for her in the background as she reads the final issue. Uh, Given, obviously, Buck. (laughs) Like he, like he was saying those spo- life spoilers. She was, um, she has been keeping up on some of the book jug books with us. So that's pretty amazing. That's that pretty is awesome. true. She yeah. has listened to every episode of Book Jug. So wow! Far. And she read. In She's an avid novel reader. Yeah. Hmm. So hmm. she uh, surprise agree with Dale a lot. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Dale, nobody saw that little casual wave of uh, triumph. You just gave <laughs> somebody. Please, cue up my bagpipes, please. <laughs> if somebody could, if somebody could cue up my bagpipes, please. Final words for myself. Uh, cue up the bagpipes, please. Bagpipes, please. <laughs> Do we have those on standby? Are we ready to go? <laughs> All right. So our next letter comes Hopefully to us from. Uh, no, we got quite a few more oh, from uh, TJ Rankin. And by the way, TJ, thanks for uh, tuning in this entire episode, uh, all seven hours of it. Um, he writes, hey, keggers, the Omnibus Volume 2 of Lone Wolf and Cub came in for me. Looking forward to digging in. I finished the first volume. And I can say that the quality of the fantastic samurai action and terrible pa- parenting skills persists. <laughs> no huge spoilers. But I'll just say Ogami might have left his child for a week lying down right next to a fire in a cave with an impending avalanche at any moment. His sword is sharp, but his child care is dull. Amazing line. <laughs> we, need, we need to quote that. It's a miracle that kid isn't dead yet. <laughs> uh, we'd love to come to the meetup, but alas, I can't. Given that I live all the way in the Lone Star State. Uh, Sunday maybe. Still, I wish you all a great time and many wonderful moments that will be hazy and clouded by alcohol the next day. Uh, that's mm, Tom Rankin at that movie freak on Twitter. Uh, P.S. Lightning round election number four. This is a listener lightning round, a rare treat for us here. Can we get uh, elect- can ahead. we get the bagpipes, please? Can I my cue of the bagpipes? <laughs> uh, I you know it's in my YouTube app, so I can't uh, do both at the same time. Uh, but listen to Lightning Round, Electra 4, uh, used to, I had zero interest in this character. Now I devour each issue as it comes out, mostly for Electra, but also for Del Mundo's excellent art. Hey, cool. I can't, I, it can't be understated 
that Jonesy is the one that's playing that music. He's asking <laughs> someone to cue it up. It's him. He is it's playing amazing. music. Look, he's face down right now. He's looking to open up the music again for like the eighth time. But that's, I mean, that's the beauty of Jonesy's humor. He gets it. And I, lo- I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to read the uh, bagpipes. Uh, next up is uh, from our friend Matt, Matt Moore. Fear this. Lads, Doug on the Fear Agent. It's an interesting choice for a title, and more importantly, one I had not read. Speaking of not having read, how about a deep dive into the world of Archie? No, not the stuff we read as kids, but the adult-inspired tales of late, the afterlife with Archie. That is some deaf storytelling, or the latest of life with Archie, and is taking a bullet from a gunman to save Kevin Keller. What intrigues me even more is that Red Circle has rebranded itself as Dark Circle, pledging to offer up more adult titles that I can only liken to be the equivalent of an HBO original series to Archie Digest's Family Network. Thoughts, criticisms, compliments, Betty, Veronica, Moose, or Midge? Nah, for me, it'll always be Josie and all the pussycats. Dag, yo. Your pal in comics and beer, Matt in the G-side sector of Cheltenham Township, the Monco at Gorilla Scribe on the Twitter. Mm. Hopefully we'll see Gorilla Scribe at the meetup on Saturday. Yeah, he has uh, he has said he will be there. He might be a little late, but we can't wait to uh, shake hands in person. Guys. I think the paper keg three and him. Can you imagine if Gorilla Scribe entered the bar and there was a jukebox where I could play this track? And as he walked in, the bagpipes just queued up. That would be and repeat that for every. every I think my I think my favorite part. Coming. Inevitably, that my favorite part of the meetup will be Jonesy saying, "Cue up the bagpipes," and <laughs> nobody will have listened to this episode yet. So Jonesy <laughs> will be saying that, and nobody will get it. <laughs> yes, exactly. that's because classic. This episode Jonesy, comes out right? after meetup. Classic. That's going to be a great night for that. Great night. Um, In I, fact, I think the um, that's a great idea. I mean, I would like to get into some more Archie Afterlife with Archie. The first few issues were really good. I just kind of fell off. And uh, I like the fact that they're kind of putting in some more adult-oriented stuff to kind of spice up the brand a little bit and uh, and widen the audience, if if it were as it were, limit the audience maybe, widen the audience with just more titles. But I know they're um, because of Afterlife with Archie, they're like retooling Sabrina the Teenage Witch into something a lot darker. I saw that. I'm very interested in that. Isn't uh, the chick from Girls writing that book? The creator of Girls for HBO. Oh, really? Lena Dunham? That's what I heard. Hmm. Something, something. She's writing something for Archie. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, our last letter. You know, it wouldn't be a paper keg keystone episode <laughs> unless this person chimed in with the topical. Um, after watching all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies again this week. And loving all of it, I'd love to see some Pirates of the Caribbean comics time by Mike Mignola. That would be amazing, savvy. (laughs) The direction they're taking Thor sounds interesting, as long as it isn't Carol Danvers. Just let her be who she is now. You know, that crossed my mind, but... You thought thought it might be Carol Danvers? 
no, it, it crossed my mind that it could be Carol Danvers because like the ta- the uh, the tagline or something was like it's not who you would expect or just wait and see who it is or something like that. But I think it's one of Thor's daughters from the future. That's what I think it is. I, think, I thought they said it was a character that's already in the book. Well, it, one of those three daughters already wields uh, yeah. Wielder in the future. Mm. Uh, I have amazing. a good feeling about Sam Wilson, his cap, and all the crap that was thrown at Remender can be picked up by the throwee, eaten like S, oh and they can gosh. promptly perish. Wow. Jonesy does not speak for all the hosts of Paper Keg. Uh, that was at Dragon King. Dragon King. Dragon King, you know. Our uh, the, our our friend, Dragonfro, on the Twitter. Uh, P.S., and I don't understand this. Stay strong, Becca. You'll be back to lifting <laughs> 40s soon. Is that a message to another friend of the show through the letter segment? Absolutely. Is Why that not? a paper keg first? Why not? I, ha- I have to know. We we are pull, we're all praying for Becca. She's still on uh, uh, tapping the brakes on alcohol right now. She's on a big alcohol hiatus, and we're all, which means she only drinks alcohol with her offhand. Right. <laughs> we made it, guys. <laughs> Hour seven of paper cake, folks. The show will not probably be get edited. I I I might hit the bottle pretty hard, like Heath did at this one. Shall I fill up your bagpipes? 58. What a show. How old, how long was Planet's Harry? Was that, that wasn't even two hours, was it? No. It was sorry. And that was 27 issues. I can't wait till we have our argument about whether we're having a fireside and you decide to cut it anyway. That's going to be amazing. We'll see everybody next week what a never talked about